Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. It is Wednesday, March 16th. It is 10.31 a.m. Sorry, we're starting a minute late. And it is time for Bible study. Hope wherever you may be, you're doing well. You're taking good care of yourself. And uh, life is going well for you. Uh, So Facebook reminded me that we started these Facebook Live Bible studies two years ago this week. So uh, the pandemic started two years ago, basically, this week. And so uh, just kind of a, an interesting uh, anniversary of sorts to, to be, have been doing this now for two years. And of course, uh, we've also started recording these and releasing them as a podcast. So wherever you may be and however you may be listening, I am grateful for you and uh, uh, certainly hope that you've enjoyed uh, going through scripture and other things with me as we've studied uh, different different pop culture theology and all that kind of stuff and uh, have tried to learn what it means to be a Christian in the world today. So now we jump in to Revelation chapter 4, and after going through the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation uh, 2 and 3, taking our time to go through those. Chapter four is just 11 verses, and we're going to get through the whole thing today. Uh, So we're going to start, our pace is going to quicken, and we're going to start putting some chapters behind us, uh, which is exciting. So Revelation two and three, seven, seven letters to the seven churches. And all of a sudden we have a big change in chapter four. Chapter four through chapter 19 is kind of future prophecy. And uh, chapter four is kind of the setting the scene. Uh, And so it starts in verse one. Uh, John writes, after this, I looked up and there in heaven, a door stood open. And the voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what you must, what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there in heaven stood a throne with one seated on the throne. And the one seated there looks like Jasper and Carnelian. Other translations say Jasper and Ruby. Uh, And around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. All right. So the first three verses, what's going on here? So John had written the seven letters to the seven churches. All of a sudden he looked up, there was a door uh, and and the, the voice that was like a trumpet from chapter one uh, invited him in. And so he walks into heaven and he sees a, a throne with somebody sitting on it. The first thing he sees in heaven was a throne with somebody sitting. It was the, the centerpiece of his vision was a throne with someone sitting on it. Yeah, so when you talk about a throne, what you're talking about is authority, right? Sovereignty. Uh, uh, you know, we, we think of a king sitting on a throne. And so the first thing John sees is a king sitting on a throne, right? A king sitting on a throne. And so the question that pops up in my head is what are you, what am I expecting to be the first thing we see in heaven? What's the first thing you're expecting to see, right? I think most people, uh, are expecting to see a, a line of people, right? outside the pearly gates. First, we stand in line, we walk up to the pearly gates, and then we get in. And once we get in, what are we expecting to see? Uh, probably expecting to see family members, right? Probably people who have been waiting for us, people who we we're, we're, can't wait to see. Uh, but that's not what John sees. John goes and sees someone enthroned, sees a king sitting on a throne. And, uh, and he, doesn't, he, he doesn't even describe the person on the throne, he just talks about the colors that he sees. He sees white, uh, 
uh, jasper white, uh, I'll, I'll, maybe like a diamond white, uh, and then like a carnelian or ruby, which is red, white and red. So the throne is white and red. He sees white and red. And so um, we say, well, what could these colors represent? What could this white and red represent? Well, the red could represent the blood that Jesus shed and the white could represent the grave clothes, you know, the, the, the empty tomb, right? The, 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 the white of, of pureness, of holiness, of righteousness. Um, and so it could be the death and resurrection of Jesus. It could be uh, the first and last gems in the high priest's breastplate, uh, which is uh, from Genesis chapter 9. Um, and so, you know, it's this beautiful image, this beautiful image that John sees, this grand image that John sees. We're, we get the sense here that this is, this is not just a, a small chair in a small room. Right, but it's a grand image with beauty, and then, and then, my favorite part of this whole thing. This is just this. This is just so important. This is just so important. The end of verse three, and around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Around the throne is a rainbow. A rainbow. Well, where where else does a rainbow show up in Scripture? So we're, we're in the last book of Scripture, Revelation, right? If we go all the way back to the very first book of Scripture, Genesis, Genesis 9. Genesis 9, God makes a promise, right? John, God had flooded the world because of the evil and wickedness. And so Noah builds an ark and survives, and now God makes a promise. And the symbol of my promise shall be the rainbow. When you see a rainbow, my, I will set my bow in the clouds, you, you, when you see, you, you will be reminded of my promise that I will never do that again. Now, we see the symbol of the rainbow, and we remember that God has promised to never do that again. However, the throne where God sits is surrounded by a rainbow. It's surrounded by a rainbow. And uh, Pastor Kathy Baines was at our Bible study last night, and she talked about how she once led a Bible study where uh, about people who had had a uh, a near death experience or had uh, like uh, gone to heaven and come back, right? Um, and and they all talk about. She said it's it's incredible how they all talk about the the incredible light and uh you know the, have you seen the light? But all the different colors in the light. And like this, this is apparently uh, a common theme among people who have who have looked into heaven uh, and then come back to life is that there are a lot of colors. And so uh, why would God need or want to be surrounded by a rainbow? God is surrounded by God is God sits on the throne surrounded by a rainbow as a reminder that God has limited God's self in accordance with with the promises that God has made to humanity. Think about that. Think about the implications that that has for life, for the world. It's so easy to look at, at people who do bad things and think, why didn't God stop them? Why, why doesn't God act more? Why, why doesn't God act more to stop things like war or uh, terrorism, all that kind of stuff? Well, well God has, has limited God's self not, not that God is limited, not that God doesn't have the power and authority to do it, but God has said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to step in. I am not going to punish humanity for humanity's wickedness. I'm not going to do that. I have made a promise that I will not do that. And so God surround, the throne is surrounded by a rainbow, which is a constant reminder for God of the promise that God has made to humanity. I love that image. I, I just, I think it's really cool. I mean, it, it's Genesis to Revelation, right? 
it 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 ties together all of the 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 scriptures in between. It's just it, it's just an incredible image. Okay, maybe maybe it, I think that's cooler than you do, but I I just love it. All right, verse four. Around the throne are twenty four thrones, and seated on the thrones are twenty four elders dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Okay, so around the throne are 24 other smaller thrones uh, with elders on them dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. So who are these 24 elders? In your best Jerry Seinfeld voice, who are these people? What are they doing there? Who are they? Commentators argue as to whether they're like human beings who have gone to heaven or angels. But um, when when we read the Old Testament, we talk about Elders, we know that elders are especially, um, they're people who represent the people of God. Uh, and so we can get the number 24 from a number of different ways. Um, they could be priests, they could be the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, uh, 12 of the prophets. Uh, so, uh, but, but what we know is that these tw- 24 gathered around the throne, uh, they're there to, uh, to worship and they're there uh, as representatives of the people. Uh, and so uh, in Revelation 5, they are going to sing a song of praise uh, that praises Jesus for, uh, for Jesus's redemption of humanity. And so, uh, you know, if, if you're praising Jesus for the redemption of humanity, uh, it, most likely you're a human being who has been redeemed by Jesus. And, and so that's why you're, you're doing that. But white robes, crowns, and thrones— ringing a bell to any of you? I mean, we just spent, I don't know, three, four, five weeks going through chapters two and three, the seven letters to the seven churches. And as we remember, at the end of each letter, there was a promise for those who overcome, for those who conquer, for those who whatever, I will give them. And Jesus gave them all something different. But these are three of the promises. You will be given a white robe. You will be given a crown. You will be given a throne. So the churches. The, the last the last letter to the last church in Laodicea, for those who overcome, you will be given a throne. So these are the promises fulfilled that Jesus has made to the churches. The, three of the churches, this is three of the promises. You will be given a white robe, you will be given a crown, and you will be uh, given a throne. And so these, these are obviously promises that Jesus has made to the churches, to the people in those churches, and these are those promises fulfilled. This is an image of what Jesus is talking about in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. Um, now, people or, or angels, one last thing to say about that. Uh, it, all throughout scripture, we hear about people uh, wearing white robes, saints wearing white robes, angels dressed in white. Uh, but nowhere in scripture do we see angels wearing a crown. Someone said last night, uh, but but we angels are halos, but halos that that's not scriptural so why don't angels wear a crown what we're told in scripture in revelation and in other places is that crowns uh people who have faith right people who who fight the good fight who race the good race who do all, you know they are given a crown and so we are given a crown because of our faith does an angel have faith is, a, is faith a part of the life of angels? Think about it this way. If an angel has always lived in heaven, if an angel has always been near the presence of God, and has, I mean, maybe they travel to earth and come back, I don't know. But, but for an angel, an angel, faith is not necessary. 
Faith is not part of their life, right? Because they're sitting in the same room as God. I, I, I don't have faith that I'm sitting on a chair. I know I'm sitting on a chair, right? There's a difference between faith and knowledge. The angels have the knowledge of the existence of God. They never have a time in their life where they, uh, where they show their faith because they never have a time in life where they have faith. They have, instead, 100%, they have the knowledge of who God is in the presence of God. Now, does that mean angels have free will? Uh, that's, that's a, 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 we, we know, we we're told that at one point Satan was an angel and fell from heaven uh, and re- rebelled against God. So um, I, don't, I don't know the whole ins and outs of that, but, but faith isn't part of the equation. And what we're told is that faith uh, leads to a crown. And so uh, that's why, you know, we, we think these are human beings instead of angels. Uh, that's not to say they don't have a crown. Like angels could have crowns because God could choose to give angels crowns. But, but scripture tells us that crowns are given to those who have faith. Okay, verses five and six. Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunders. And in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there is something like a sea of glass, like crystal. Okay, so we have lightning and thunder, uh, you know, kind of re- reminders of, of Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and 20, where Moses leads the people to the promised land and then goes up to the mountain and there's, you know, lightning and thunder. I mean, it's just as, we, as, as John is setting the scene for us, helping us to get an image of what this is like, we're getting we're getting an image of something very grand in scale, something with, with awe, something with uh, just, just breathtaking, right? Uh, just a giant place, a giant place with lightning and thunder and, and a big sea in front. There's a sea of glass, a, a sea like crystal, uh, which, which reminds me of the still waters that Psalm 23 says, right? That the Lord is my shepherd. He shall lead me beside still waters, waters without any kind of a ripple where it's just, you look down at the water and it's like a perfect reflection, right? And so it's like glass. The sea is like glass. And there is the, the seven spirits of God, right? Burning, uh, burning in the seven flaming torches, which it goes back to Revelation chapter one that was talked about in Revelation chapter one. Uh, but it also is a tie back to Isaiah 11 that we talked about earlier. Uh, so we see that the Holy Spirit is represented there, not in the, the, um, the burning lamps, but in the flame itself, right? And so the church is called to be a lamp that, that, that lifts up and shows uh, the light, Right, we are called to be uh, the 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 lampstand itself, uh, so that we can uh, be that which shows or displays the love of God, uh, and which is a representation of 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 the the spirit uh, of 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 the triune God. Uh, so uh, that's uh, verses uh, five and six. Uh, I I find this just. I mean, this is a this is a peek into heaven. This is a peek into heaven, and whether. Whether this is just John's peak, and maybe when we get there, it's going to look different. Uh, I, I still find this is fascinating to me, and I hope you're uh, enjoying this as much as I am. Okay, let's jump back into uh, verses uh, 6b, the second half of verse 6 uh, through 7. So, you know, thousands of years, and thousand years ago, 1800 years ago, uh, whenever they decided to, to uh, put the Bible into verses, 
this is one of those times where it makes you scratch your head and go, why did they, uh, I mean, they only had 11 verses in, in chapter four. They probably uh, could have gone to 12 and uh, verse six could have been cut in half because uh, verse six B, the next part kind of starts a different, a different uh, story. So, but okay. Verse six B through seven around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with a face like a human, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. So who are these four? What, what's the purpose of these four? Well, if we read Ezekiel, Ezekiel 1 and then Ezekiel 10, tells us that these four creatures uh, are to be the cherubim. They're the you know, the, the angels seraphim and cherubim. These are the, uh, the, the, the angels that surround the throne of God. Um, and they're also part, they were the, the part of the design of the tabernacle uh, in Exodus. And, and the, um, as the uh, Roman, I'm sorry, the, the Israelite army was being put together, and the, the men are being marshaled into four companies, uh, were told uh, Judah, Judah's symbol or standard was that of a lion. Uh, uh, Ephraim had an ox. Reuben was that of a man. And Dan was that of an eagle. So uh, these are the, you find these four images all throughout the, the early part of the Old Testament. And, and, and Ezekiel, the prophet, who uh, has the same vision, the same vision of these, these four who surround the throne and they surround their throne with their many eyes, right? They have eyes all over. They have eyes um, and, and so they see everything, right? They see everything. They know everything. Uh, they perceive uh, more than any human being will ever perceive. Uh, and so these, these beings of great intelligence and understanding, what do they do with all their time? They worship God. They worship God and they keep an eye on things. They, they worship God and they keep an eye on things. Um, it, it's interesting that these beings of all this great intelligence, uh, they spend their time worshiping, worshiping. So leads me to think, is, is all failure to worship rooted in a lack of seeing and understanding or perceiving and understanding? Why is it that we lack uh, the understanding that they have. Well, you know, and, and so as, as the people of God who are given, who is given the gift of faith by the Holy Spirit, you know, those who don't have faith, is, is it that they don't perceive in the same way? Is it that their spiritual eyes aren't open or able to see the work and presence of God in their life? Uh, and so just something to think about the ways, how, what it is, what is it that, that, um, compels us to worship? Is it our perception of what God is doing? Uh, what is it that calls us to worship uh, or compels us to worship? So just uh, something to think about. And then the last two verses of the chapter, uh, verses 9 and 11. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lie, lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne singing you are worthy our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created okay some interesting things here so when 
the cherubim worship, the elders also worship. And to worship, they throw their crowns, they cast their crowns before their throne. And so we we hear this. This is this is a, a common phrase or a common whatever in Christian casting. They cast their crowns. Um, we uh, it's in hymns. There's a, a Christian contemporary band casting crowns, right? Uh, but but where does this come from? Where does this come from? Well, it's part of worship. Is you know, Lord, you have given me this crown. Now I cast it in front of you. So so I give in worship. We give all that we have. We give all that we have. To God, who gave it to us first. And so we wear a crown because when we get to heaven, we get a crown that God gives us, right? It's not a crown that we've earned. It's not we've earned because of good works or anything like that. We get to heaven through faith. And so because of our faith, here's a crown, right? And then as we're in our worship, we, we cast it back before the throne to say, I'm giving you back everything that is meant, that everything I have, including that which you have given me, because everything that I have is what you have given me. And then what happens? Well, the, we see this play out in life. Uh, the Roman Empire did this. This still happens at coronation, the last coronation of the Queen of England, where before the queen is get, you know coronated, all the other noble people, all the other lesser royalty take off their crowns, and then the queen puts her crown back on and then gives them the right to put their crown back on. This is what would happen in the Roman Empire. There would be lesser kings who would come and throw their crown in front of the emperor, and the emperor would give them back their crown, and they would put it on. Right. But they were doing it. They were serving at the um, uh, at the because the king has said, I give you the, uh, the king or queen. I give you the authority to wear it. And so uh, we cast our crowns before God. This thing that God has given us, we give back. And God says, here, take it back. I give it to you again. I give it to you again. Um, and so, uh, you know, when we think about worship, what is worship? It is worship is you know, giving God, giving back to God all that we have because God has given it to us. And then God's saying, well, no, I'm, I'm going to give it to you again. I want you, to, I want you to continue to have it. Now, here's what I find interesting. Why were they worshiping God? Why were they worshiping God? It says, for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. They worshiped God because of God's creative power. Because God created us. God created all things. God brought all things into existence, right? And so it is because God is a creator that they worshiped God. Why do we worship God? I would say that the idea of worshiping God because God is creator is probably a bit foreign to our way of worship, certainly foreign to maybe our liturgy. We were, as Christians, right? Our theology is based on the cross. It's based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Specifically, though, though, on the cross is where we see how far God was willing to go to let us know that we were loved so that we can have the forgiveness of sins and salvation. It's all based on the cross. It's not based on creation. It's based on the redemption of creation. And so uh, to, to take it one step down from that and say, God is worthy to be praised simply because we are here. Simply because we are here, God is worthy to be praised. And oh yeah, God did this other thing for us too by redeeming us. By redeeming us. Uh, God is worthy to be praised in our redemption, in our creation, in the ways in which we have strength to get through, uh, to get through life. And to, uh, uh, it, it's just, um, I, I just love this chapter. So, okay.
I'm done. Thank you again so much for joining me as we go through Revelation chapter 4. Next week, we will go through Revelation chapter 5. Uh, it's, not lo- it's not that long either. I'm expecting to do the whole thing next week. So we're going to put some, as I said, put some chapters behind us. So uh, let's pray real quick. Dear Lord, uh, we thank you for all that you have given us. We thank you for the uh, promise of eternal life, for the promise of our coming crowns. Uh, may our may your promises compel us to worship you for all that you have done, for, for creating us, for redeeming us, for being with us each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, have a wonderful day, a great week. Take good care of yourselves, and we will see you here next Wednesday. <music>